Let me just share a few minutes with you on this special day, on Dedication Day and Father's Day. Can we read a few verses um, from John chapter 8? I should read them on here with you. Adorn he, that is Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made a stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This episode in the life of Jesus is really famous. It's famous for that phrase, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. I believe this story happened. There are some people that to cast doubt on the accuracy of the Bible. You know what? If you, if you use modern literary um, analysis, the Gospels are reliable. They're reliable accounts of historical facts. They were all written within 30 years of the death of Jesus. If you cast doubt on this, you have to cast doubt on so many other ancient documents. Did Caesar really go to Gaul? How do we know he went to Gaul? Because it was written down but that was written down 300 years after he died. This was written within 30 years of the death of Jesus. I believe this really happened. I believe all the story of Jesus really happened. By all evidence, we believe it happened. And this is a famous story from that time. Um, And I want to share on that in a second, but I want to talk about Elliot for a minute. (laughs) Not related to this story. (laughs) It will come together at the end. You're going to love it. Um, Elliot walked into our youth group when he was about 15. Was that right, 15? He walked in sheepishly behind Laura. (laughs) Timid, quiet, shy. And we were in the old lounge building in in Lee Road. Do you remember that? And uh, that shyness lasted for 10, 15 minutes before the real Elliot came out. And uh, it's the Elliot that we know uh, and the Elliot that we love. And having done life with Elliot fairly closely for the last 15 years and experiencing highs and lows, happiness and sadness, laughter and tears, you get to know something about people when you share life with them. And it's been a joy and privilege to do that with Elliot and Laura. But you know, you know somebody and then a child appears. And suddenly everything changes. Focuses change. Priorities change. The meaning of life itself changes. 
You stop seeing things through your life, your, your life only, but also through the life of someone else, a small, helpless life, full of potential and possibilities. Life stops being functional for a moment. It becomes deeper. Questions of life, life's meaning begin to hit you. We stop becoming just a bag of cells and become something glorious and beautiful, an amazing creation. Life. This is life. A father's role in a child is vital. Our world needs fathers. Our world needs fathers. And it's been wonderful to see Elliot become a father. To start to see him caring for Ella. To start to see him loving Ella. And I love it when things don't quite go right. And we have all our plans of the way we're going to do things. And then suddenly realise this child's got a mind of its own. And we have to cope. And we have to change strategies. And it changes us. But a father always loves. And now what does a father do? This Father's Day, what is it a father does? And I've seen these in Elliot's. Over the last 18 months, you know, a father protects. A father puts himself between their child and danger, ready to face the force of pain, abuse and hurt. They will take the pain rather than their child's. A father positions himself to take upon his own person what was intended or could be faced by the child's. I've seen that in Elliot's. A father is loyal. Everyone else may abandon you, not believe in you, accuse you or betray you, but a father defends you. He may not defend everything you do, but he defends you, always defends you. A father sets boundaries. He creates safe places for a child to express himself. He does not just say, do what you want to do. Or, if that's what you like, if that's what makes you happy, please yourself. A father doesn't do that. He uses his wisdom and experience to set boundaries within which a child can flourish and learn disciplines and life skills which rewards them and others as they grow. I've seen Elliot do that. A father is patient. He understands that life is a process. Not everything on the outside is really what's going on on the inside. He plays a long game, takes time to understand, doesn't rush to judgment or get caught up in the melee of events. He is willing to ride out the storm in order to help you grow. A father forgives. He recognises their child will not always get it right. They will make mistakes. They will even upset their dad from time to time. Maybe let him down. But when they turn to him, a father will always be there with open arms to forgive. In other words, a father loves. A father loves. And I've seen all of these attributes in Elliot's. It's a love that protects, empowers, wants a child to do more, to go further than them, is not threatened by their success. It's love that defends and stands up for them. Love that gives. Much of this I've witnessed in Elliot as I've seen him grow into fatherhood. Is he a perfect father? Well, ask Ella when she's older. 
Probably not. Am I a perfect father? Well, there's a simple way to find out. Because all three of my children are here today. I won't take a vote, no. My children have grown. Wonderful children have grown. But I know I've not been a perfect father. Father's Day is a great day, but I know it's also tough for some. Because they never knew their dads or they've lost their dads. Or maybe their dad didn't do all they could have done for their kids. And we pray on this day, everyone know the grace and love of God. But we know the role of a father as to a mother is unique. And hugely vital and important. Having established that we can never, and I have not been, a perfect father. Let's take a few minutes to imagine what it would actually be like to have a perfect father. A father who always got it right, knew how to love, knew how to care, to empower, protect, to release to greatness. Imagine a father who always protected. When this woman was found guilty, guilty under the local law and custom, she was brought before Jesus by obeying hateful crowds, armed with stones, a horrendous punishment to hurl at this woman. Obviously, the question is, where was the man? Hmm. Says something about society then and society through the ages. That it was the woman that was being dragged out. But Jesus figuratively put himself between the woman and the baying crowd. He was the man with the power to say, ready, aim, fire. He was the man with the power to say, yes, die or no, live. But he stood between the woman and the crowds in the path of the stones and the hates and he protected at the possible cost to his own person and the definite cost to his own reputation. He was a perfect father who protected this woman. Imagine a father who is always loyal. It was one woman against all the others. All the others had decided her fate. She was alone and guilty. She deserved punishment and was abandoned to death. There was no debate to be had. It was a clear-cut case decided by multiple witnesses. Jesus Christ could have stepped aside. He could have preserved his reputation, sided with the majority to, fulfill his, to further his popularity. But he stood with the woman. He stood alongside her, defended her despite of her guilt and despite of what the crowd would say or think. He did not abandon her when she needed someone most. Imagine a father who always sets proper boundaries. Jesus' powerful words had saved this woman from a horrible death. He had, he had fought for her life and freedom. But that wasn't the total picture, nor the total power of his love as a good father. He loved her too much to think she could just decide for her own future. To leave her living a life that damaged her. He didn't condemn her, nor did he leave her in her mess. He told her to leave her life of sin. He loved her too much to leave her in her impoverished state. He created her and he knew how she should flourish and what would harm her. And he set good boundaries for her. Imagine a father who is always patient. In the rush of events, there's a crowd screaming, shouting, 
obeying. A decision needs to be made. There's pressure. There's panic. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? Jesus did not panic. He didn't jump to conclusions. He didn't make a hasty decision. Jesus was never rushed. Jesus is never unprepared. He always knows what is needed. He stopped. He waited. And he drew on the ground. How many of us, when we see him, one of the first questions we will ask is, what did you draw on the ground? What did you write in the dust? What did you do that had such a great impact in that moment? He wouldn't be swayed by the noise or the circumstance. He did not rush to judgment. He always knows how to act. Imagine a father who is always willing to forgive. These words ring down the ages. Neither do I condemn you. They are the words that sum up the new season Jesus had come to declare when he came to our world. By the measure he had used, which was, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. By his own measure, he alone had the right to destroy this woman. Because he knew no sin. But he did not condemn her, but came to her rescue. He does not judge by our standards. There's so much judgment in our world, isn't there? So much accusation from all sides. It's so easy to get it wrong. Even things we did 30, 40 years ago can be used to bash us on our heads. Jesus longs to forgive and to set free. For me, this is a vital component of this story because all the other attributes of, of attributes a father can have and a father should be forgiving towards their children and towards everybody. But here Jesus becomes unique. Because there's something unique about his forgiveness. You know, there are some people that say that Jesus was just a good man. He was a moral teacher. He just gave us wise words. He said things like, love your neighbour as yourself. And he said things like, don't judge or you'll be judged. And they're good moral teachings, aren't they? And if the world based its functioning on Jesus' teachings, the world would be a better place. But that's not what you can think about Jesus. Because you can't only see him as a great moral teacher. One of my heroes, increasingly, is C.S. Lewis. The author of um, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I've never read it, actually. I've seen it, but I've read a lot of C.S. Lewis's works. And he was an amazing man. He said this about Jesus. I'm trying to here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God's. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He didn't intend to. 
And right here is one of those things that make it clear that Jesus was not just a great moral teacher because he went about forgiving people for the things they had done that had not been done to him. He had the power to forgive. He had the power to set people free from their sin. He had power to release people from their shame. That he says this claims is a claim that he makes that is more than just a moral teacher. He claims a power to forgive me. Forgive even those things that don't seem to be against him. Many struggle under the weights and pain of mistakes and failings, but Jesus came to this world for people like me and maybe people like you to bring forgiveness that takes away the pain. Neither do I condemn you, he said to this woman. Imagine a father who always loves perfectly. Jesus demonstrates the love and power of a perfect father. He said of, the, he said of himself in the Gospel of John, John 14, verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, don't look at me. Don't look at Elliot. Don't look at other fathers here. Don't even look at the church, first of all. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Because he was the perfect representation of him. If you know Elliot and you know me and my dad here as well and other fathers, being a Christian does not mean that you love perfectly as a father, but it does mean that we have encountered the love of a perfect father. Don't look to Christians for perfection because just know that they are living looking to one who is perfect. It doesn't mean a perfect life or perfect outcomes but we know we have perfect love for now and all eternity. Jesus came to show us the love of the Father. Love which ultimately led him to lay down his life in my place, to deal with and forgive the sin which separated me from this perfect Father. And I live in the joy and assurance of that every day. I leave you with this today. The day we celebrate the love between a father and his child the day we celebrate Ella, the day we celebrate fathers. In this episode, the religious man came to Jesus, men came to Jesus with a question about the quality of love, the quality of mind of Jesus. They said in verse, in, uh, in verse five, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? What do you say? I would encourage you this day as we celebrate Ella, as we celebrate fathers, to ask this question of a perfect father. Now God, Father, what do you say about me? What do you say about me? What do you say about who I am? About my past? About my future? About the things I have said and done? What do you say about who you made me to be? About the boundaries that are good for me? You can talk to him with all confidence because he knows you and he made you. He and only he gives perfect answers. In discovering who you are in him, I believe you discover who you are in yourself. And in following him, you find freedom. In surrendering to him, you find salvation. And then you can ask somebody from this church 
or somebody who follows Jesus, what God the Father thinks of you. If you want to ask somebody, ask somebody that goes to a church where they worship Jesus. Because they will know about the Father. It may sound arrogant when we say we believe Jesus is the only way to the Father, but unfortunately, this is one of the things that Jesus said about himself. This is the claim that he made. He said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot build your own God. Because that will make you God. There is only one God. And you find him through Jesus Christ. And we don't say that with any arrogance. We say it because that is what our leader says. That's what Jesus said. The love of a good father is wonderful. And I thank God I had that. The love of a perfect father is better. The perfect father is God, who we find in Jesus. C.S. Lewis, who I mentioned, was an atheist for many years. Incredibly intelligent man. I think he was a don at both Oxford and Cambridge. He would, he would go into debates with Christians at university and debate with them whether God was real and argue and everything like that. And then one day, through studying the, the text, through studying the life of Jesus, he realized Jesus was alive, Jesus was real. And he found Jesus Christ and he found the Father. But he said this, which I think is really good. I was an atheist who refused to believe in any God who could be Father. And yet, I always wish there was such a God. Every atheist should wish there was a God like Jesus. Well, Lewis discovered there is such a God. Eliot's discovered there is such a God. I've discovered there is such a Father. And I ain't got it right by a long way. But you know what? He gets it right every time. Every time. There is such a Father, and He loves perfectly. And we can all discover the Father today. Can we bow our heads and pray? And the musicians are going to come forward as we're going to close. God, we honour every father in this house today. Whether they're a new father or they've been a father for decades. Whether they're a grandfather or a great-grandfather. We honour them, God. We thank you for the role they play in our families. For the role they play in our worlds. Make us good fathers, God. Help us be good fathers. Whether our kids are tiny, whether our kids have left home, whether our kids have their own kids. Make us good fathers. And God, today we come before you and we say, now what do you say, God? I pray for those here who were looking to find, who may not believe in God or Father, yet they wish there was such a God. As they go to you at any time, any day, any moment, and say, God, what do you think about me? They would encounter the good Father of heaven and the Son that came to represent him and gave their life for him. I pray this day they would discover the love of the perfect Father. We thank you for Ella. We thank you for Elliot. We thank you for Laura. We bless them for their families and friends here today. We bless them. May this day be a great day of joy and laughter and celebration. 
You are a God of laughter. You laugh with the children. We want to laugh with you today, God. Because you bring joy to our lives. So let your peace and grace rest on us as we spend time together and as we close, we worship now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.